Hey everyone, thanks for listening. This is part two of the Carl Inka conversation. I, mean, I know we've been talking about uh, not having a creator from, from the right of the attack for, it seems like a year and a half now or two years or longer. But f- for us who watch United every week, well, every two days this last season, it's, it's, clear, <laughs> it's, it's clear as ever the biggest hole in the team is we don't have a proper wooden midfielder, right? One yeah. of the things that's, I've said more than once is that We've seen to have we're solving the midfield question by committee right now. Yes. With with Fred and McTominay. So you have two players kind of doing the job of one, mm-hmm. which in in one sense it's kind of the it's it's the platform for that organized chaos of Bruno, right? Because you need if you have two players who neither of them can really pass, you need a really assertive player in front yep. of them, which is what Bruno is, and which is what Donny van der Beek clearly is not. Um I think that that call that analogy of a startup, you know, versus a bigger company is so good. You know, you come into work and you're like, oh yeah, you know, who uh, who does the copies? It's like, no, no, you need to you need to go down to the shop, buy a copy machine, you make your own copies, then you drop it off to the client yourself. And that's Bruno. He's just okay. You're not doing anything. Give me the ball, I'll do it. Yeah. You know, you go there. I'm gonna tell you where to be. I'll I'll do it. And Van der Beek is a he he is it may be dismissive, but he's a, a system player. You know, I've said kind of dismissively that we wanted Jack Grealish and we got Ander Herrera, you know, except he is maybe even more timid. The ability is there, but I think it's, it's like you said, um, in this case, you know, being assertive is not just one of many qualities you can have. It's a requirement for this position. Yeah. You know, 2020, 2021, Manchester United. If you're going to play in that role, you have to make things happen yourself. Everything, every consistent starter in that Manchester United team is assertive or is on in some level a bit of a bastard right Harry Maguire is an amazing emotional light remote he swears constantly I've never seen he loves calling people a fucking knobhead he loves calling people a twat he loves telling the ref fuck off he loves and he loved and what's great about Maguire is he doesn't mind it if people swear at him Maguire has that very rare quality where you can see, you can get in an argument with him for 30 seconds and everything will be fine afterwards. And you saw that against Crystal Palace where him and Rashford just swore at each other for ages about offside and it was cool immediately afterwards. And that's why he's captain. Yeah, he's really good at playing. Yeah, yeah, he's a really good defender. Yes, he never gets injured. Yes, he's consistent. But also, when the shit hits the fan at United, Maguire goes, keep the fucking ball, you dickheads. And they keep the ball for five minutes. That's great. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is, and I mean this in the nicest way, he's really Croydon. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to tell that. You're not going to get under that boy's skin, right? There's not much I can do as a journalist right now about Wan-Bissaka that will make Wan-Bissaka go, oh, maybe I'm not good. Wan-Bissaka, and again, in the nicest way, Wan-Bissaka is the person in the United team probably closest to responding to one of my negative tweets with his paycheck right his confidence his confidence is on that level he knows he's knows he's got a one-on-one he knows he knows he's got the better of Raheem Sterling he knows that when certain guys come in that domain he's going to lock them up and he knows certain players he knows there's loads of teams right now that don't want him on a 1v1 so they send in double teams or they send in crosses in the back post and yeah that he needs to work on that stuff but his confidence is just there uh, Luke Shaw now has finally like 
kicked on a bit and he's just there now. He's just like, I'm not going to. Well, the really great thing about Luke Shaw is because he's become quite burly, it means that even when there are times where his significant technical ability lets him down, he's just like, well, move the damn ball. Like, you're not going to beat him in a 1v1. So he's got to be as well. Yeah. <laughs> Scott McTominay. 6 1, Luke Shaw. Yeah. Scott McTominay almost compensates for his sometimes erratic passing and his failings and spatial awareness through his utmost professionalism and his complete understanding of if I'm just like Manchester United short back and sides, talk about all the classic stuff and prove myself every single day and work hard every single day, I'll be a United player. Fred is, again, has that weird emotional lightning rod thing that Maguire has. I've never seen a 27-year-old or 28-year-old player be as openly patronised as Fred. But it's very clear that everyone in that United dressing room loves Fred. That Fred is good vibes. Right. Bruno Fernandes. Fred is great vibes. We don't, we, don't, vibes. We, don't, we, don't take, we don't take any Fred slander here. Great vibes. Polly is uh, the leader of the Fred hive. Yeah. His XV is off the chart. If Fred, if Fred was fit and started the Europa League final, you will see. <laughs> yes! Yes! Uh, Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood is a very good example of this sort of, you have to be assertive and you have to be, you basically have to play football the wrong way to work at Manchester United. Mason Greenwood takes some terrible shots, right? And he takes garbage shots frequently. But because he's two-footed and because his shooting profile is so hard and he can hit the ball so hard, he genuinely might get to a level of quality that it doesn't matter if those shots are garbage. And, you know, you can imagine the coach going, Greenwood, don't do that. You don't need to. And he's like, no. It's, uh, have you ever been rock climbing before? So when you're rock climbing, you're not meant to take too many large swings with your limbs. You're meant to take bit by bit by bit because that's proper rock climbing. If you take too large a swing and you miss, then you fall down. Whereas Green's like, nah, screw it. I'm really tall and I'm really good at this. Loop, loop, loop. And that's how he's managed to play so minutes already. This United team puts the fun into dysfunctional. It would be nice if Greenwood passed more when he gets triple teamed. <laughs> Just a bit. I want, him, I want him to make more inside to outside runs. And I think that's going to happen the longer he, split, he plays next to Edison Cavani. I was going to say, I think Dean Henderson is in that category of bit of a bastard also. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, is, which is a big part of his appeal compared to De Gea, right? I don't, I think his, uh, I mean, you could, I'd be interested to hear your take on this because I think United quietly might have a goalkeeper problem, uh, this summer. Um, because there's nowhere, there's nowhere for De Gea to go. He's, he's the highest state player in the league. Um, Dean Henderson hasn't, there was a perfect opportunity for this handover that it was such a great example of, oh, this is why Solskjaer is such a good man manager. Because here's this very human moment, you know, go on paternity leave, essentially, for David De Gea. So now there's no choice but for Dean Henderson to start in the league. Natural handoff. And De Gea has never been the type, unlike some other goalkeepers currently on the books of United, to make a fuss in the press or have his people make a fuss on his behalf. So it was perfect. But then, you know, Dean Henderson had a couple of wobbles. Um, De Gea starts the Europa League final, which... Normally, that's what you would expect, um, because that's the competition he was playing in. But because that, because second place was locked up with a, a couple of weeks ago, that became the biggest match of the season, and it ended up being a controversy. Um, but you can't say that Dean Henderson made himself the unequivocal, uh, unequivocal, no questions asked, 
am the number one of Manchester United. You can't say that with any with a hundred percent certainty. And now you have two goalkeepers on on first team wages. Tom Heaton supposedly coming in. Um, you would guess that's as probably a third goalkeeper, not a second. Lee Grant um, is being retained. Lee Grant is that official? Well, I know he was in Lee, negotiation, right? Lee Grant is probably being retained. I assume it's going to be a contract where will be more coaching. But you're completely right. This is this is uh, so football managers often use the term a nice problem. When I have two players in good form, this is a nice problem to have. And you eventually say, well, you know, eventually this, this either goes from being a nice problem to a problem or it sorts itself out. And Solskjaer was giving the impression, I have two number ones. This is a nice problem. You did the right thing with a handover. A, a very good example of why you need to be assertive to be a United player. Um, after United beat Fulham in January, Solskjaer said United don't do offsides. So they don't play the offside track. So they, there was that goal, the goal that Fulham scored. Very, like, looked offside, but I had this moment where Eric Bai didn't push up. And this is, again, this is one of those very sneaky reasons. Like, why, why does it end up play over Eric Bai? It's not just that Eric Bai is injured all the time, but also Eric Bai doesn't talk as much as it's going to Lindelof is very vocal. And when you're playing in a medium, you know, that middle block with two defenders, with two defensive midfielders that can't quite do all the actions, Harry Maguire is not the quickest. He needs someone in his ear going left, right, man on to do that stuff. Otherwise, Harry Maguire is going to get killed in open field. Bai doesn't talk. And that's a big reason. So there's a moment Bai didn't talk to Maguire. Maguire steps up. Bai doesn't move up as well. Ball comes over. Fulham score. We talk about it in the press conference afterwards and said, Solskjaer, what happened there? Did you try and play an offside trap and goes wrong? He goes, no, we don't do offsides. Which, if you're a Champions League aspirant team and you don't do offside traps, you're going, okay, that's... that's well, we were a rubber league team by then, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're a team with Champions League aspirations and you're not doing the offside trap one or two times, you're worried, right? One reason why Manchester United... One reason why Manchester United can see a lot of set pieces on top of all the other things is because you never see them do the offside trap because it's not coached. Then Dean Henderson comes in and he's constantly screaming, up, 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 yelling at everyone to move. And Dean Henderson essentially coached the offside trap when he's on the field. They would have been two, uh, it was during AC Milan in the first leg of the Europa League. There was a moment where I, I heard Dean Henderson in Old Trafford go, Bit more forward, Eric. Bit more forward. Bit more left. Left. Thank you. As the, as um, AC Milan had the, I think it was a, it was a set piece of some sort. And I remember I took a note. I said, "Hang on, Henderson's done this a couple of months ago. United weren't doing offside traps." And I asked Solskjaer. I said, "Hey, uh, I overheard this during the game. Are you now teaching offsides?" And Solskjaer did that thing he always does when I try and push him on an extra layer where he looks down and then he uses his left hand on his chin and he goes, uh, kind of. We're bringing more layers season by season. But again, you've got, you're relying on players to take personal responsibility. The problem with United is in defence, the players have to take personal responsibility for their actions and it's up to them if they want to talk and it's up to them to sell how they're going to play. And then attack, it's up to the attackers to interpret what they want to do. Now, if you've got a lot of geniuses in attack, and a lot of uh, resilient, strong bastards in defence. Great, amazing. You're going to finish in the top four. If one of those guys gets hurt or off colour, you're in trouble. And this is the problem with United, where I can't. Well, I say I can't. It can be quite difficult, or it should be harder. It's harder than it should be for United to take a good performance from week to week to week to week to week. It's not the same good performance from week to week. 
which is why you have that weird comeback thing where you're going way for it. I'm hoping that going a goal down is going to clarify your mind. There it is. Hold on. I'm glad you brought this up because it's literally the number one thing I've written down. You've you've written about United and their set pieces and how they there's a mix between the zone, the, the man marking, and it, it requires a lot of people to take individual responsibility. And when they win the first ball, very good. If they don't win the first ball, very bad. It's been obvious. It was not, They were really bad at defending set pieces once McGuire went down, but they weren't much better when he was hurt, when he was fit. And it was obvious all season long. Why was there no change? Like, what is the positive to playing this style, which seems to have so many different things that can go wrong? When it goes right, what advantage is it giving you? The positive is it's easy, right? The positive is in a season that fit, that fit in, that crammed 10 months worth of football into nine months, and where you're playing a game every two or three days, that's the easy system, right? And it relies on get to the front post, and if you can't get to the front post, Harry Maguire's going to sort it out. And Harry Maguire doesn't get hurt. Harry Maguire doesn't get sent off. Harry Maguire doesn't drop a stinker. Like even a Harry, even a bad Harry Maguire game is still a five out of ten. Uh, and Harry Maguire, he knows how to head a damn ball away from goal. He can't really score it, but he knows how to do those things. Uh, and I think I think that's why that was the system for this season. And I would. Solskjaer's not stupid. I don't think that will be the system next year. I think they will most likely try something a little bit more inventive and they'll probably have, you know, their very good analytic team will tell them this is where we got done in all these games. Because, and I promise you, if I, working at the Athletic, can spot a problem, someone at multiple people at United can spot the problem. Um, the question now is how do you fix it? And how do you fix it when you have maybe four hours in a week? To coach? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're coming up on an hour now, and I, I think that was going to be uh, close no. to my, my cap for this episode. But uh, if, 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 <laughs> All right, cool. I, I did well, have, we got more um, Tarantino questions. <laughs> <laughs> I did have uh, one sort of transfer question for you, Carl. Um, as you mentioned, you know, noticing problems uh, at Manchester United – They've got a lot more people in place now to do that. Um, the last transfer window was a little bit hectic, um, whereas Ollie's first season, he brought in players who addressed very direct needs. And then last year, they wanted Jaden Sancho, but that didn't happen. So they kind of you know, called audibles, and they brought in Donny van de Beek, who's a player that didn't necessarily fit the system, but he kind of gives them tax- tactical flexibility. This summer, again, it seems like Jaden Sancho is obviously the number one target, but... But uh, there are other areas that uh, Manchester United want to address, uh, particularly in midfield. And I was wondering if there was a specific player that you had in mind for filling that number six hole in the squad. Nice try. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being mean. You know, I don't I don't like to talk on podcasts on social media about particular individuals okay. in relation to United, but because. If I say it, then one of the angriest will chop it up and then right. it'll be a thing. What I will tell you is what I prefer to do, which is just list the attributes the player needs to have. Okay. So if, and this is the difficult thing, and this is why I wrote an article in The Athletic where I listed 14 players 
for holding midfielders for Manchester United. I said these are these are players that can fit in, but also they vary and change depending on some criteria. So number one, we need to assume that Solskjaer is going to play four two three one next season. Number two, if he does play four two three one, that means Bruno Fernandes isn't going to move. Number three, we also don't know about Paul Pogba's future. If Paul Pogba stays, that means you probably can get away with just signing one defensive midfielder. If Paul Pogba leaves, you need to go out and get two. Uh, then you have the question as to if you buy a defensive midfielder, are they going to be the one to play next to Paul Pogba? Or are they going to be the one to play next to one of Scott McTominay, Fred and or Donny van der Beek? So uh, I broke it up into passes and tacklers. For the passing players, so people who are really good at you know, the metronomic number six, you know, the guys like Jorginho. Carricks uh, of the world? The Michael Carricks of the world. Thank you very much. Uh, those are players that will most likely sit next to Fred or Scott McTominay, uh, but wouldn't be so good sitting next to Donny van der Beek. So there is a need for Manchester United to have someone who can progress the ball from deep because that takes a lot of the attacking burden away from Bruno Fernandes. Bruno Fernandes, his problem right now is not only does he have to drop deep centrally, but also he has to drop deep left to collect it from Luke Shaw and or Fred and or Marcus Rashford sometimes, but also especially he needs to drift right to pick the ball up from Aaron Wan-Bissaka because Aaron Wan-Bissaka isn't so great at that. And also, again, this also depends on who ends up on the right-hand side. If it's a mad, I think Bruno Fernandes doesn't have to move over to the right-hand side as much which means he can stay central, which then also has a knock-on effect for the person that plays ahead of him. So that's what a passer can do. And there are players out there that have the passing archetype. There are, uh, there's one player in Italy who, if Marco Verratti doesn't play for Italy, I'm sure you're going to hear his name and I'm sure you're going to start going, I want that person for Manchester United. Um, there is one player for AC Milan right now who put in a very good audition. He's more of a box-to-box player than a defensive player, but put in the sort of position, the performance where like, hmm, they'd be interesting to pivot for Manchester United. Um, so those are your passes. And you don't necessarily want a ball-carrying player because Fred can sort of do that. Uh, the really interesting thing about Fred is Fred can make passes, but if you put a senior passer next to him, he basically just becomes a younger brother. The Fred and Pogba pivot should be better than the Fred and Sock McTominay pivot, but Fred... I feel as if Fred and something, I feel as if Fred and Pogba need to have a conversation about how that relationship works. Cause I've seen two or three times where Fred's been on the ball and Pogba is looking at him and pointing, go forwards. And Fred just stops and passes the ball to Pogba and Pogba's like, okay, I'll just do it myself. <laughs> uh, bless him. I love Fred so much. I, I, love, <laughs> I love Fred because Fred, Fred is in the same way that I love Danny Welbeck. Cause Danny Welbeck did exactly what I do if you mainly play for Manchester United. As a striker, I love Fred because he plays exactly like how I would play for Manchester United, which is just, I'm trying my hardest and I'm running about and I know what I need to do, but sometimes the passes go wrong. I'm just not good enough. <laughs> but you can, you can see when Fred puts in a really good performance, I can see exactly why Cap Guardiola was interested, right? I'm like, right, that's why you would have taken him, you would have coached him to be like Rodri or you've turned him into a better version of Fernando, right? You'd have just made him an intercepting guy next to Fernandinho. And his whole thing would have just been, I nicked the ball, hyped the pitch, here you go, Kevin the Brainer, and that's it. But Solskjaer hasn't quite got the bandwidth to teach him all that stuff. So he's going, Fred, try your best. And when it goes wrong, like, give a thumbs up. And it, it speaks a lot to how, you know, Fred's character, that he can be so erratic, but no one at United hates him. 
I, someone, I forgot who it was, but someone once described him as like, he's like a, a, a friend's baby where you play with him and he's really cute and it's awesome. But then at the end of the day, you get to give him back <laughs> as opposed to when you have a baby. When, and then like at the end of the day, you're tired and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm still responsible for this. And that that's kind of not as cool. <laughs> yeah. Fred, Fred could have so easily have not worked out at Manchester United. A player that erratic and that, you know, I'm going to be mean here, upgradable, um, could have easily been, could easily been bombed out, could easily been frozen out, could easily just never been spoken again. There have been better players that have left Manchester United because they have less to offer, um, like in terms of a dressing room performance. But the fact that Fred spends most of those training sessions turning up to free kick practice and Bruno Fernandes and Telles are like, yeah, he's not, we don't let him take the free kicks, but we just like having him there. Speaks to how, again, vibes, vibes are really important. And in, the, in that thing of, if you work at a startup culture and everything's kind of dysfunctional, having someone at work you can complain with and who gets it is really useful. And that's why I think Fred is useful. Um, so that's the passing holding midfield players. I also think United need to get a tackling bastard, right? So, Every Michael Cox, who also writes for the Athletic, wrote a fantastic piece at the start of the 2019-2020 season where he said every single top team in Europe, every single top team in the Premier League, and probably every single top team in Europe is defined by the person that plays number six. Now, if you just want to understand how does this team work, look at who's their number six is. So at the, you know, under Mauricio Sarri, it was Jorginho. And that's how Chelsea were going to play. They were going to play through Jorginho playing we never quite saw proper Sari ball, but it was metronomic passing and one-touch passing. Uh, Liverpool, it was Fabinho. And Fabinho was just, I am your stopper. When Liverpool do their high-pressing football, I'm going to stand on the halfway line or the edge in the penalty area. And I'm basically the pressure valve. And if you get over me, I'm going to put a boot in you. Fernandinho had a very similar role for Manchester City. right? Um, when Tottenham were at their pomp, we're talking peak potch Spurs, that guy was Moussa Dembele, which is, if you are side-by-side side with me, you're not going to get the ball off me because my quadriceps are massive. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Moussa Dembele so much. He <laughs> was so good. Um, and that was the thing, right? That was, that, was, that was the guy. And I think, and the problem is, there is no one out there who is ready-made all-in-one by now tackler that Manchester United can go out and buy in Europe. There's a lot of players between the ages of 21 and 23 who are like, I can tackle, but I can't really pass. So put a pass on it and I'll sort you out. And that's great if you keep Paul Pogba. And that, and that's, that's the problem with holding midfielders. Every single player you can get is very much defined on the person you put next to them. So if you go out and buy a guy who can only tackle the ball, that's fine. If you have, if you keep Paul Pogba and you play next to Pogba and you go, okay, Pogba, you can do your, Four three three off the left because this guy's going to stand next to you on the right and just sweep up everything. You can't do that with Donny van der Beek because Donny van der Beek, if you play him next to him in a deep line pivot, he's going to run forward and go, get me the ball in those interesting places and the attacking guy's going to go, I can't do that. <laughs> so therefore, you need to get a, a tackler who can also pass and that means you've got to spend an extra 20 million. So that's when you stop shopping in, say, um, the bottom half or the Europa League targets of France and then maybe you need to start looking at the top level of the Netherlands if that makes sense to you. Um, and that's why I can't name one player. I will say there is one guy who just got relegated, who if Pogba leaves, United could probably pick him up for about 20 million and I could replicate some of Pogba's work. Oh. I, I, uh, I, I think that's, that 
because I love that article that you wrote about, you know, the, the profile of player and, and how much depends on Pogba staying or leaving. I think my, it's funny because especially in years of international tournaments, these things change so quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, because for months now, I've kind of felt like, okay, the Pogba issue for this summer is settled. Um, but of course, you know, Pogba's agent um, <laughs> is notorious for not necessarily doing what people expect, as we just saw with one of his other clients in, in Italy. Mm-hmm. So who knows if this pop, pops back up again, especially if France, you know, wins the World Cup and then we're going to have an interview of Pogba in a, uh, a corridor outside a stadium saying, you know, only God knows what the future holds or something like that. Um, but if we assume Pogba stays, um, I think the best signing we could make is maybe a time machine. So we could go back and sign Nemanja Matic of eight years ago. Yes. Uh, he was the perfect profile. <laughs> he can tackle and pass, you know, Premier League proven. And he's left-footed, which is really important. And he's left-footed. Um, uh, unfortunately, plays like he's 45 now. Um, so one of the interesting things about... And the more, the more I look at what Solskjaer's trying to do at United, the more I listen to Solskjaer, the more I wish something had happened. But more I wish Solskjaer was just a bit further on in his development and he could have directly succeeded Van Gaal. Because you, Solskjaer's basically spent six to eight months just trying to undo a lot of the work Mourinho did and then trying to get back to some of the Van Gaal stuff. And a large problem with that is basically three years of that. Marine, you know, two and a bit years of that Mourinho bit was with Paul Pogba, and we've essentially wasted two years of Paul Pogba's bit. And also, those two and a bit years, Mourinho didn't buy the player Paul Pogba needed. So, again, Paul Pogba is another good example. Manchester United are a startup company. So, Paul Pogba comes in, like, we're gonna, we're gonna make you head of creative content. You're gonna do this, this, and this, and this. And he goes, great. What's my team? Who's, who am I gonna, who's gonna, who am I gonna be in charge of? You know, what do you mean who are you gonna be in charge of? You, you run everything. I can't do Dude, that. that. That hits really close to home right now. Yeah, yeah. like I gotta make my own gifts. Yeah, you gotta run everything. And Pogba's like, I can't, I can't do all that. I've never had to do all that. Just, I gotta figure all that out. And then everyone's yelled at him and said, "Why can't you do everything? Why can't you do everything? You can certainly, like, why can't you write the content, put it on social media, and schedule the content, and then do all your interviews and do all your transcripts?" Pogba's like, "No, no, no, that wasn't. I had this guy called Perlo. I had this guy called Marchisio. I had this guy called that. What? I need, I need help. And Pogba was the person at the start that goes." Our company, I need help to help with all the hours. And then rather than give Pogba the help, they hired above him in Bruno Fernandes. And Bruno Fernandes is like, oh, cool. I'll just do all the work myself. And then everyone's like, wait, why couldn't Pogba do that? Pogba's like, no, you still need to fix the other organizational issues. <laughs> right? One of the big things. Jose Mourinho knew he needed to get a player to sit next to Paul Pogba because um Marion Fellaini couldn't do it and he knew that Ander Herrera couldn't do it and he knew he needed a proper number six but rather than hire someone who was fit for purpose and that could continue with Paul Pogba and grow older with Paul Pogba and grow together with Paul Pogba I've always I've, I've semi-joked about this he picked up he looked through his phone book and went oh Matic how you doing buddy <laughs> and that's that's one of the big problems uh, that it's not Matic's fault because when Matic is good he's great and when Matic is bad he's always oh, bad and that's a thing he's always had, even in his Chelsea and Benfica days, that he's just wildly divergent. Um, but I, I just don't think he was ever fit for first for Manchester United. He was one of those players that was brought, not for... <clears throat> this is the problem United have had for a while, basically up until 
Solskjaer arrived, which was they were buying players not based on what can you do for Manchester United, but they were buying players. What have you done previously? Uh, and this is the this is well, this is the easiest mistake you can make in the transfer market, or the easiest mistake you can make as someone from the outside looking in when you are linking or naming players in relation to your football team is you're looking at what they're currently doing and saying, "That's cool. I want that in my team." Instead of going, "How did he do that?" And is the environment, is that applicable to move over? So I want to be really mean here. I do not understand why Manchester United fans are talking about Ruben Neves. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Ruben, we've, been, we've been known to call Ruben Neves. Uh, when, Fred. Fred, before Fred was, you know, uh, as, as good and useful as he is now. Because uh, I, I don't even think we, we think that he is as good as Fred is right now except for the fact that he's you know scored he can shoot oh he's hit one from out of the box once (laughs) Colin is sick right now Colin is absolutely sick right now Ruben Neves is a good player for Wolves he's a good kind of metronomic passer he can press he can tackle a bit and he can shoot from long range those aren't things Manchester United need right now right I don't need you to be kind of a metronomic passer can you are you a progressive passer from deep or not I need you to be B plus at this right now and if you're not, I can't buy you. Are you a B-plus tackler and interception player? And if you're not, I don't need you. And a long shot from deep, we've got Paul Pogba, we've got Bruno Fernandes, we've got Mason Greenwood, we've got Marcus Rashford. We have too many players that like taking long shots. We need to reduce the long shots. We need someone to pass it from deep so our players who take too many long shots can take it from closer to the goal. And that's, that's the bit of scouting and that's the bit of recruitment that United are really bad at. That's also why Manchester United have only made a profit on three of their last, in the, on three of their players over the last decade, because they're so bad at this. They're like a talent vortex, right? This is why so many players leave United and are better elsewhere. And people go, oh, the player should have stayed at United. You're going, no, 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 no. You should be going, why couldn't we get that version of that player here? What are we failing to do? And again, the startup culture. Do you have an HR department? Do you have a coffee machine? Is your Wi-Fi set up? I work in journalism, right? I wonder, I got, when 2015, I was working with a sub-editor, and most, most, a lot of media companies don't have sub-editors anymore. The sub-editors were the first people to get fired from media companies when you got told to pivot to video and pivot online. And this is why you see so many typos on online articles, right? You can tell, you can tell when a website has a sub-editor because it's just nicer to read. And very often my sub-editor tells me, what does that sentence mean? Like, oh yeah, that joke doesn't make sense. Get rid of it. And I remember the sub-editor told me, Carl, as a journalist, no matter what company you go to, on your very first day, walk in and go, how do we spell the word okay? Oh, that's brilliant. He said, just go first day, go, oh, cool, great. You write your article and go, oh, by the way, how do we spell the word okay? And he goes, if they don't have an answer, leave. Because the company that knows this is the stand, this is how a style guide spells okay. It is capital O dot capital K or okay a y or whatever if they have a rule for it then they've thought about something on a deep granular level which means their structure which means their organization if they go to and eh, just do what you want to do then boy you better be self-motivated and be able to do what you want to do every single day of the week and there is a version of that for every single job right i i, I will one day figure out the footballing version of what is your okay it's the um it's the brown m&ms in the bowl right it is, you need to have a quick sign for organizational structure at your club. And Manchester United are getting there. I think Solskjaer has been really good. I mean, one thing Solskjaer was good at was basically just turn up at United and 
right, here are all the things we did under Fergie that you stopped doing. I'm going to bring them back. We're going to bring back suits. We're going to bring up this. We're going to get rid of that mosaic because it looks fractured. Social goes, okay, what, you know, the big one that really, really makes me sad. <sighs> Louis van Gaal came into Manchester United and goes, we need to upgrade your academy because it's been falling to disrepair a little bit, which is correct. And he went, I need you to turn all these pitches into state-of-the-art 3G pitches because I am going to spend a lot of time in the academy because it's Louis van Gaal. United go, absolutely, Mr. van Gaal. You're here for the long run. No expense. Blah, 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 blah. There's your check. Bang, bang, bang. Van Gaal comes in and goes, I need player tracking information to all these players. I need to install cameras up here. Uh, these cameras are going to cost £50,000. United are going, I'm expensive, but very well, Mr. van Gaal. Here you go. Bang. Van Gaal eventually leaves and we find out all the things about how the players weren't happy with the constant monitoring and how Van Gaal had that thing where everyone had to take a touch before they took a shot the ball, unless you're Rooney or Di Maria. But what he did on that level, in that section of, of Manchester United, good, great. That is that is what every major football club does now. Mourinho comes in and goes, I don't need those cameras, take them now. Because Mourinho, one big thing that Marine, one big reason why Marino is not the manager he used to be is because he doesn't really believe in player tracking information. So the early Chelsea teams were fitter than everyone else, whereas now Marino thinks he can just tell when a player's not fit, uh, which is a very strange. Like, no, like Marino, your entire thing was being fitter than everyone else. Why you're not a player whisperer? You're certainly not a player whisperer now. Players are younger than you know now. Players are born in the 2000s, not in the 1980s. When Kill Bill's uh, already out. Yeah, right? Uh, so this is one reason why Marino isn't there. And then Solskjaer comes in afterwards and goes, cool, I want to make these guys press. How do we press? And all these guys are like, well, no one's been tracking our player data for two years. So uh, we're all drastically unfit. And this is why interim Solskjaer had the problem where they played really, really good. Then he gets the job full time. And they all just break down because he, he hadn't quite figured out the red zone and stuff. And he's getting there. But at the time where Mourinho succeeds Van Gaal, is the time where Liverpool are beginning to get their act together on the clock, when City are beginning to get their act together on the pep, where Spurs, to a degree, are beginning to get their act together on Pochettino, right? At, at the time where all the top six clubs are going, this is what we're going to do for the next five years. Mourinho came in and went, ah, get rid of that Van Gaal stuff. And now Solskjaer's coming and going, oh no, I could have used those things from Van Gaal. That's really annoying. Um, so they, they're doing well, and I am... I think we've tweeted this before, Brent, about how uh, Manchester United are very business casual. Yeah. So they used yeah. to be un- they used to be unserious, but now I think they're business casual in that. Okay, all right, you're not going to get first class if you're on a plane because you're not in a suit, but it's nice you're wearing a, a collar on your outfit now. It's nice you're wearing some shoes other than trainers. Yeah, we're, we're getting there, and I think you're, you're um, you mentioned something earlier about wishing that uh, Solskjaer could have come in directly after Van Hal and just got me thinking. It's so annoying that United's managerial hires, we got it, I think, right eventually, in that we now have a good manager who fits the moment. But all of, of United's managerial hires have, since Moyes have been so reactive. Mm-hmm. You know, Van Hal came in because he was, in a sense, the antithesis of David Moyes, right? Here's a manager who's done it at big clubs, at Ajax, won the Champions League or the European Cup. And then we needed, you know, Mourinho out of, like, as a necessity because of Van Hal, because Van Hal was, you know, we needed a guaranteed thing, you know, the sure thing, which is what we were tricked um, into believing Mourinho was going to be. And then, it's for Gazy. 
and then, and then Solskjaer, it was also reactionary because, because you know, Mourinho was a football dementor, just sucking the joy out of the place. So we needed someone to bring some joy back. And, you know, you, you roll the dice enough times, you, you kind of land on the right combination. And, and maybe Solskjaer is the right one, even if he's not, you know, capital T, capital O, the one. Um, but he's the right one for the moment. And you have to hope. I think one of the things that I find interesting is that we don't often think of managers the way we think of players. We look at players and say, oh, he's going to get better. Mm. You, know, you can see mm. him adding layers to his game, and we don't think of managers in that way. Um, yeah. Have a manager now who's kind of like a young player. You know, it's like seeing, oh, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, can, he can cross now. You know, he could, oh, he could take some touches in the middle of the pitch. He can do some attacking combinations, and but you can still see his weaknesses. He's still... He can't defend the back post, you know. He 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 his limbs are all over the place when he's trying to dribble. But you could see him adding some stuff, and that's kind of what Solskjaer is. Like Solskjaer might be the Aaron Wan Bissaka of managers, which I don't know who should feel more insulted by that, but I, I feel like it's fair. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing. This goes back to the thing about managers now at top clubs come with their prepackaged ideas. You don't managers. So what? I think the average time for a manager in the Premier League now is just under two years. You don't have the time to learn on the job, and you certainly shouldn't have enough time to learn on the job at a club the size of Manchester United. But Solskjaer makes it work because he's Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, right? If anyone complains to him, he goes, "Well, look out the front door. I helped won that treble." Um, and to go back to what Paul said right at the start about Zidane, one of my favourite Zidane stories about Real Madrid comes from Danilo when Danilo was there and he said if you speak Spanish or Portuguese Zinedine Zidane doesn't yell at you he just stares at you and takes a step forward and you know you've messed up he only yells at the English speakers or the French speakers because he just has that amount of gravitas at Real Madrid that if you're playing for Real Madrid you know who Zinedine Zidane is you know what he did for Real Madrid you understand that he can still spin you on a volley right now and it's that sort of power. And you saw, I think, have you seen that clip? I think it was last season where he, where Solskjaer yells at Jesse Lingard. Who hasn't? Yeah, right. And that's the thing. I don't think, I don't think Solskjaer yells too much. But I think he was doing it during the Europa League final too. But I think during the English players in particular, I think if Solskjaer yelled at you, you'd go, oh, I'm in trouble. Because he's got heft. And again, this is the thing of, I don't think, I don't think anything David Moyes could have done would have the same amount of heft as Ole Gunnar Solskjaer yelling at you at Manchester United. In the same way, I don't think anything Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could have done at Everton would have the same heft as David Moyes yelling at you. Right? That football clubs are very unique because are weird because they're institutions and they're community hubs, but also they're living organisms. Like they have they have heartbeats, they have organs, they have setups, and you shouldn't. You shouldn't want to have a multi-million, if not multi-billion dollar corporation run by people that, you know, a large section of the people in high-ranking positions at most football clubs only have a GCSE education because they drop out of school to play football at 16. They do really well for that club and then they get promoted back room and they get promoted and promoted and promoted, right? Most most business people come into a club, football club go, what are you doing? Uh, but you have that very weird thing where you've got a very good business-minded person at Woodford trying to talk to football manning people and it's all getting messed up because they haven't got the correct specialisations yet. Again, startup culture. Um, and I think Solskjaer's just done really well just going, right, 
even if things go really, really bad at this football club, I'm just going to tell you what we used to do under Alex Ferguson. And yeah, not it's not going to work all the time because you know, Ferguson's methods in 1999 aren't always applicable in 2021. And also one thing that I think I'm only just understanding now, now I'm an adult and now I've watched that Ferguson documentary is that Ferguson doesn't tell people what he's doing. He doesn't tell them why. He just does it in that very Machiavellian demon thing where he he will not explain it because if he explains it that sort of makes him more human and Ferguson very much doesn't want to be human he wants to be greater than that um so yeah I think I think the future is bright-ish for Manchester United I think if Solskjaer can get the two or three players in that he wants uh, and the two or three players that Manchester United need to stay stay they will be top four contenders is what I'm going to say because Liverpool aren't going nowhere Chelsea are terrifying, frankly. City are going nowhere. And Leicester City might not be going anywhere. I think a lot of what Leicester City is is locked up in Wolfrey and Didi. That, that gives me more hope that if we did get the time machine that Brent talked about, we would actually go and sign Matic from eight years ago and not do what we would have done probably four years ago and been like, oh, we can go back to 2003 and sign 17-year-old Ronaldo and uh, just give it time. He's a little raw, but but give it give it some time. Honestly, if you gave me a time machine right now and say you're allowed to pick one Manchester United player for one season, for Manchester United next season, I'm going to probably get 2008 Michael Carrick. I know Cristiano Ronaldo is great and I know... Roy Keane is probably one of the best ever Premier League football players of all time. I know Rio Ferdinand was amazing. I know Manu Vidic is amazing. But in terms of who is one player right now who could add more wins, who could change more losses into draws and more draws into wins, to Manchester United, Michael Carrick. Yeah, I think he's less right for this team too. I'm either getting 2010 Wayne Rooney before the injury or I'm setting up uh, French League 2 scouting before TIFA football made it mainstream. No, no, no. One Manchester United player okay, one Manchester United player the last 21 years time machine and you get them for one season. I think I have argued for Carrick before but I don't know for sure. What what, what year of Carrick do you want? Oh, I can't answer that because I didn't pay. I I didn't understand the game well enough to like really appreciate what Michael Carrick was doing. I was kind of like, you're not as cool as Paul Scholes, so I don't like you. <laughs> I'm getting. Yeah, I think I'm. Michael. I'm doing. I'm all seven. All seven away from Michael Carrick for this yep, team. That's for me. Yeah. I, I just I, I remember in a team full of stars, he he just came off as so boring. But I was too young to understand that. Boring was exactly what they needed from that position, and that's exactly what this team needs. I think I think you can find it on you think you can find the chapter online. But Michael Carrick describing what it was like playing Barcelona in that 09 final is man, that is a different kind of scary. Yeah, I, I read his book. He just went, yeah. He goes, oh, I thought I was one of the best players in the world. Then I played Barcelona, and in the Esther and Xavi beat me so badly, I had a severe mental dip that I don't want to call depression but kind of sounds like depression. Oh, right. And he struggled the whole next season and and struggled through the World Cup. Now, one of my... This is one of my strongest beliefs that I know is wrong, in football at least, right? So I know this is wrong. I know this is is not true. I I know this is wrong, and I know this is not true. And the more I learn about football, the more I understand this is not 
this is not what I'm about to say is nonsense. But if Darren Fletcher was available for that final, Manchester United win 2009. Everyone thinks that. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely not. Sir Alex Ferguson definitely. <laughs> like, no one. I've crossed so much time prefacing with, I know it's wrong, and yet no one will ever disagree with him on it. Absolutely not. 100%. That's one of my two. Uh, I know it's probably wrong, but I, I'll be on my deathbed believing that that and, you know, Ronaldo being poisoned in the 1998 World Cup final. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> my two. I'm going to go in to go to my grave believing those. I don't care what the evidence says. It's me and the I'll, 2017 I'll, I'll Jaguars. Go with, I'll go with David De Gea was in on the fax machine. I, oh. I, will, I will go to my grave saying that David De Gea did not actually want to leave and he was in on the fax machine thing. <laughs> uh, All right. Um, can, can we bring I back 1617 Mkhitaryan for the vibes? <laughs> Just I the Scorpion kick. I love that boy. Like, yes. There we go, Carl. Deeply. I want Mkhitaryan to do well and not and like next to nothing to do with football. But again, he's got a really good player shooting piece, and he's such a nice boy. And I should find a more intelligent way to do that. But when you, I mean, he speaks six languages. His sister probably speak, speaks around ten because he's an interpreter for the United Nations. Um, so Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan, so Mkhitaryan speaks French, German, English, Italian. He, I think he spent a year in Brazil on like soccer school and then learned how to speak Portuguese. And then when it was at Shakhtar, just was just like hanging out with all the Brazilians, all the Brazilians going, wait, how do you, how do you speak this? Um, yeah, uh, an immensely, he's very emotionally intelligent, quite tender. Um, so I was really excited when talking about Manchester United. And then I remember there was an old interview where Jurgen Klopp said, I underestimated how many hugs I needed to give Mikatarian. And oh, we're doomed. <laughs> if if Jurgen Klopp if saying I didn't hug you enough and you're going to go play for Jose Mourinho, I was like, oh good. Oh. good. <laughs> well, well, speaking of that time machine, if we brought you know fresh out of Dortmund that Mkhitaryan to Solshire system, like are are we vibing pretty hard with that or? Ah, play him on the right hand side. I think that'd be quite interesting. Mm. I think Mkhitaryan. I think Mkhitaryan would end up being the next one matter in that role in that you're not kind of quick and you're most probably a 10 but yeah you're smart and it's the same thing you know when Hamata plays next to Paul Pogba or when he plays next to Bruno Fernandes and both those guys are very clear like oh thank god you're so smart this is so much easier <laughs> I hate to do this guys because this has been a lot of fun but uh, we gotta wrap up this episode now um, but uh, Carl thank you so much for coming on uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and, no it's uh, been- yeah. Um, so I am over at the Athletic. We have a sale on for anyone over the Euros. So it is one pound a month for the next six months. If you start there, uh, I've just start. Well, I've just helped start a brand new series. We're running there. We're looking at the ten players to watch at the Euros. And so I started things off with Alexander Isaac, a Sweden, who is just man. That guy is going to cost a Champions League club sixty-five million in like two or three years. Uh, before we do this podcast, I'm currently writing a piece about all the relegated players that should be kept in the Premier League. So I need to go finish that and then go have dinner. Uh, and then also I'm on a personal capacity. I'm trying to do something on one of the host cities in the Euros and what that means for them to be a footballing landscape. And I'm also trying to do something on toilets in football stadiums and how that they are going to need to be redesigned in the age of COVID. So 
uh, a wide array of articles on the athletic. <laughs> I hope you enjoy that. Also, um, yes, I wrote a book with Marcus Rashford. I'm going to hold it up now. It's called You Are a Champion. Uh, it's a children's book aimed for children between 10 and 16, but I've seen plenty of uh, seven, six, and eight year olds picking up and saying they love it, and it's the very first book. So I hope you check that out. I wrote it with Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford loves it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exciting That's stuff. Strongest, strongest recommendation you can you can get. Marcus Rashford loves it. Um, <laughs> uh, thank you so much for coming on, um, listeners. Go check out Carl at The Athletic. It's uh, one of the few sports publications that I pay good money for, my hard-earned coin, because uh, it's worth it. Carl's one of the best uh, sports football writers working. And, uh, yeah, pick up that you are a champion as well.